Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. We often see people who have great success. And from our perspective, it seems as though their rise is quick and out of nowhere. Now, as a baseball fan, I usually think about the player who makes it to the major leagues, and you've never heard their name before in your life, and suddenly they're getting on base and knocking in runs at the most opportune time for your favorite team. Suddenly this person, whose name you might not even have been able to pronounce a week ago, is the talk of the entire fandom of your team. It seems as though it's about luck or just pure God-given talent that this person has had success. That's our perspective. But the truth is this person's rise to being this famous player had a lot to do with their paying their dues, with their putting in the work. We don't know much about their years in the minor leagues and how long it took for them to get promoted to the next level. We don't know the hours that they spent in batting cages struggling to get that hitch out of their swing that was causing them to do nothing but maybe pop the ball up or drive it into the ground. We don't know. We don't see the time that they spent in the offseason staying in shape and hitting off a tee in a makeshift batting cage that they set up in their backyard. We don't see that stuff. And so from our viewpoint, it's been an easy road for this person. It's been nothing but a rise to fame, an easy success, God-given talent. But from their perspective, the road has often been tough. And they have felt as though maybe they would never make it. And they may have even considered giving up. And so you have to wonder what people thought of this young Hebrew man, Joseph, who had this rapid ascent to a position of power in Egypt. Imagine being in the court of Pharaoh. And one day, this 30-year-old guy comes in and is able to interpret a couple of dreams And suddenly, he's the second most powerful guy in the kingdom. You'd likely have feelings of envy. And the things that you would say about him when you went home at night to your spouse probably wouldn't be much that you would like to have repeated later on. There might be jealousy and envy. Because here's this guy who is suddenly able to tell you what to do. And from your perspective, he hasn't earned this at all. He's just been able to tell Pharaoh what his dreams mean. Well, just like my example of a baseball player who put in the time and paid his dues, we know from following the story of Joseph that his ascent has been anything but rapid. He has spent the last 13 years in slavery and in prison. He was thrown in a pit by his brothers and sold to some Ishmaelites. His boss's wife tried to seduce him, and when he refused, she made up a story about his attempting to take advantage of her. And Joseph ended up in the pit of prison. And even after interpreting the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh's court, he is forgotten for two more years until God sovereignly gives Pharaoh dreams 
that will prepare the kingdom of Egypt for a famine. Yep, the rise of Joseph to be number two in Egypt was not a meteoric rise to power. It was a very slow burn that is the definition of paying your dues and going to the school of hard knocks. And as we come to our passage for this week, we are seeing how he is rewarded with this position and how he is used by God to prepare for this famine and ultimately to rescue the people of God. So before we jump into our passage for today, let's break it down into our points. The first thing that we're going to see is that that Pharaoh recognizes that God is at work in Joseph. Now this is an interesting thing to consider when we think about the fact that this is a pagan king who is considered to be a deity himself. The majesty and power of God, the one who created heaven and earth, is apparent even to those who are in rebellion against him. Secondly, we see that Joseph steps into the position that is given to him by Pharaoh. While the journey has been a long one, we know that Joseph has trusted in the Lord and that he understands that he has been put into this position for a purpose. And finally, we see that what God has revealed to Pharaoh in the dream comes to pass. And we see that God is using Joseph to provide food, not only for the people of Egypt, but the wisdom that he has blessed Joseph with allows not only Egyptians to have food in this time of famine, but other people groups are blessed by what God has done through Joseph. And so we continue through the story of Joseph as we move on to our first point today, and we take a look at verses 37 through 45. So we see the conversation continuing from where we left off last week. Joseph has proposed that during the coming seven years of plenty, they store away food for a rainy day, or I guess you could say for a not-so-rainy day, a period of famine. And Pharaoh is a fan of the plan, and this is where we see that even though Pharaoh is a pagan king who is viewed as a deity himself, he sees that Almighty, Almighty God is involved in the life of Joseph. It is so apparent that he does not question his Hebrew ancestry, in fact, or the fact that he was a slave or that he has spent a significant time in prison. These are things that you and I might consider to be obstacles. Well, he's not one of us. He's a Hebrew, and boy, he was a slave. Uh, Does he really belong in Pharaoh's court? And even worse, he was a prisoner. He's an ex-con. Does he belong here? What God has done in the life of Joseph causes Pharaoh to forget all those things. The ability that God has given to Joseph to interpret the dream of Pharaoh wipes out all those strikes against him And he knows if he goes searching for a wise man to enact this plan that Joseph has, he isn't going to find anyone who has the blessing of God upon him like Joseph does. And this acknowledgement of God's Spirit upon him leads to this very lucrative promotion. It might be one of the most substantial promotions in history. I would guess, and, and again, it's all from a pagan king who has worshipped himself inherently. We see that Pharaoh knows that he is not a god. He can't even answer his own dreams, right? He knows deep down that he isn't what he is worshipped as by the people of Egypt. And this does something for us. It it draws us to Romans chapter 1, doesn't it? Because there we read that God is known There we read that there really is no such thing as an atheist. 
We're reminded in Romans, 19, or Romans 1, 19 and 20 that God's attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature are clearly perceived since the creation of the world. No one is without excuse. We're reminded of this in God's Word in Romans 1. Even this Pharaoh who is worshipped as a god knows the plain truth of who God is. As the famous statement goes, there are two things that you and I inherently know about God. He exists, and we're not Him. But this acknowledgement does not mean that Pharaoh has bent the knee to God. It does not mean that Pharaoh has trusted in Almighty God. It means that he sees the general truth of who God is, and he sees the benefit of having Joseph, a servant of God, as his ally. That's what leads to this astounding promotion. And we check out the details here in the text. He hasn't gone from unloading trucks at the warehouse to middle management or being in human resources at the company. He's gone straight to the top. And the reason is the fact that God has clearly shown him the interpretation of these dreams of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says that Joseph is to be over his house and everyone has to order themselves based upon what he tells them to do. The only thing that Joseph isn't over is Pharaoh himself. And even then, it is only in regards to the throne we read. Now, in other words, this means Pharaoh is the buck stops here guy, right? But Due to the wisdom Joseph has from God, he is going to give Joseph the power to determine what is done in the land of Egypt. And we see that Pharaoh makes it official by giving him his ring and clothing him in royal garments and putting a gold chain on him. He is installed to this high position and he receives a wife from the priest of On. This priest would have been in a city that was the primary place of worship to the sun god Ra. So this would be the primary priest of Egypt. And his daughter is now given to Joseph in marriage. And this shows how highly they viewed his position. But this does not mean that Joseph is worshiping the false god, Ra. Instead, it shows that even those who worship falsely are in subjection to the servant of God Most High. Joseph continues to be faithful to God the God who has been faithful to him, even in the pit. And we move on to our second point where we're going to see that Joseph is in this position and he's acting upon the wisdom that God has given him. And as Joseph steps into this position, we should expect him to have the success that we have found to be with him at every step of his journey. From the pit that his brothers threw him in, and as he was sold into slavery, in the depths of the pit of the prison, The hand of the Lord has been upon him. The hand of the Lord has been guiding his steps. And he has found success. And as we move into this section of the passage, we see that there's this reminder from Moses that he has given us on several occasions about the passing of time, right? We read that Joseph is 30 years old. He has been in slavery and in prison for 13 long years. While it was an amazing ascent to this position of power, it was not quick, it was not easy. But now we see that the faithfulness of Joseph to stay faithful to God and to put in the work wherever he has been placed is paying off for him. 
we are told that Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And we get the idea here that Joseph is not simply telling Pharaoh good advice on how to prepare for the famine. He isn't just called upon when he's needed. Joseph is more than just a royal advisor sitting in the throne room. Even away from the presence of Pharaoh, Joseph has authority. And people do what Joseph says, even to the point of doing what he says when it isn't even tangible for them, even when they don't even maybe understand. Remember, they are putting away a lot of grain during these years of abundance. This would be when people would normally relish in their good fortune. It's when people loosen their belts, right? It's not when you tighten your belt. You loosen it. I'm sure they were told the reasons that this was happening. But seven years is a long time, and there's no way that they can know in advance that Joseph is right about the coming famine. But Joseph has authority And so his plan is enacted. And notice that this food is put up in all the cities, and the grain is stored up in great abundance. And Moses helps us to understand the level of abundance because what is stored up is like the sand of the sea. And I think of that phrase anytime I'm around a substantial beach. Maybe you do too. It's used in Scripture a few times. When you look at a substantial beach, you can't even hope to pick up a handful of sand and count the grains, can you? It's an impossible task. It's unthinkable. And that's just what we can see in our hand. And then look down the shore of this beach. You can't even begin to think about counting the grains of sand. And that's just what you can see. On the horizon, the beach continues in both directions. And then stop and think for a minute. There is more sand underneath the water that you can't even see. That's the idea that Moses wants to understand, that there is so much grain. It is unfathomable. Fathomable. It's so much. And we find the story of God's faithfulness to Joseph continuing as, as we move closer to this famine. We read that he is blessed with children. Remember the blessing that this is in their culture, to have children Because the family expands. And not only does your family expand, but it's going to continue through the birth of these sons. God is blessing Joseph, not just with this position of power, but with sons. The years of plenty are not just for the grain, but God blesses Joseph with two children as well. And we see that Joseph understands the role that God has made him play and that all his blessings come from God when we look at the names of the two sons. The first is named Manasseh. This this name means to forget. And he gives him this name because God has made him forget the hardships that he has endured, and he's even helped him to forget his father's house. Remember, Joseph was the favorite, and he was treated as a prince when he was given the robe of many colors. That was substantial to him then. He was going to be receiving this little kingdom of his father. He was the prince. But now he is in a far greater role. And the inheritance of his father Jacob now feels small compared to what God has blessed him with now. And then the second name means Ephraim. And he says that he has been made fruitful in the land of his affliction. Once again, Joseph understands who it is 
that has his hand upon him. He has not done this on his own. It has been the Lord who has blessed him, and he has given him all that he has. It was a land of affliction, but God has turned it into a blessing. God has turned it into a land of plenty. And as we move on to the final section of verses in our passage for today, we see that what God has revealed to the pagan King Pharaoh fully comes to pass. The years of plenty were not a permanent increase, and things did not work their way back to just normal years. Instead, the famine that was foretold in the dream comes, just like the dreams of the cows and the grain foretold. And as Moses announces what is happening in the sovereign plan of Almighty God, we find that this is not just a famine that ends at the borders of the lands of Egypt. There was a famine in all lands. And we read that something is different in Egypt. In all of Egypt, there is bread. In the midst of a famine, there's food. Once again, we see that the authority given to Joseph by Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt makes a difference. The grain that is abundant as sand on the seashore in all the cities allows there to be bread while the rest of this region of the world is desiring a morsel. It's important that we stop before we look at the generosity of Joseph that we remember the story that's being told through Genesis. Remember, God created the world by his amazing power and created man, but we fell into sin and deserved to be punished in his wrath for our rebellion. But God in his mercy immediately made a promise that one would come who would crush the head of the serpent, and he covered the sin and the shame of our first parents with clothes of skin. Remember the story we've been following. The shed blood there that covered their nakedness. And from that point on, we, we follow the bloodline of this one who is going to come one day, who is going to save us from the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin. And while we have this story about Joseph here now, and it's a great story, Sunday school favorite, we have to remember that we can't fully understand the story of Joseph without understanding the bigger story of Genesis. Joseph is fun to look at. The story's great, like I said. He is also, in many ways, a type of Christ for us to look at and to follow as an example. But there's an ultimate plot here underneath the surface in the story of Joseph. And that is God is sovereignly at work in all of this to save his people and to preserve that line to the Messiah, to preserve that promise that God has made that one day the one is going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And we'll address that more in the coming weeks as we continue the story of Joseph. But we can't really understand the rise of Joseph if we don't understand how God is preserving the family of Jacob to continue to keep his family alive to keep that promise going, the promised seed of the woman, the promised child of the promise, the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the one who will eventually come from the line of Joseph's brother Judah must be preserved. That's the underlying story here in all of this. And while it's great that Joseph is at the top of the pyramid, so to speak, sorry, that's a bad joke about Egypt, But Joseph is at the top here. The real underlying story is not that Egypt is being preserved. 
The story is bigger than that. The story is beyond the boundaries of Egypt. It's beyond the control of Pharaoh. Because the story in Genesis, the story in Scripture, is about the chosen people of God. And so, in a way, we're brought back into that story as we close up here. Because the famine is all over the place. And if the famine is all over the place, the children of Jacob are being affected. The storehouses then we read, are opened. And food is sold to Egyptians. But we find that there is such a great abundance of grain. It's so great that all the earth is able to come and receive the blessing of God's revelation of the, of the famine through the dreams of Pharaoh and the insight that's given to Joseph. That insight has allowed people everywhere to receive the blessing of God's wisdom that was given to Joseph. And as we think about the path of the story that we have seen, it has been interesting the way that we have had the story of the generations of Jacob told to us. It's been different than the stories of the generation, other generations that we've seen in Genesis because we've kind of jumped around and, and we've left the child of the promise. Joseph is, is not the child of the promise. The promise doesn't come through him. It comes through Judah. We zoomed in in this story initially on Joseph, the prince of the family, his robe of many colors, And then he was sold into slavery. But then we zoomed away and we looked at Judah and his unfaithfulness. How weird was that, right? That whole story. Uncomfortable, weird. What's happening? But then we zoom back to Joseph again. And we see the contrast of the life of Joseph. He is sexually faithful. He is not tempted, or he is tempted, but isn't seduced by Potiphar's wife in contrast to the sexual sin of Judah, right? And then we went with Joseph into the pit of the prison, and, and now we've seen his rise. This, but as I've mentioned, the story is about more than just Joseph, and it's about more than just Egypt here. And so now we're zooming out to see how the blessing of God on Joseph has benefited the whole world. And we're going to zoom back in on Joseph's brothers next week. And we'll see how God's unfolding plan is protecting his people and preserving the line to the Messiah, that one who is promised, who is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And that is why what is foretold in the dreams of Pharaoh comes to pass. That's the purpose. It's because God is faithful and he is going to do his good will that he might be glorified in saving a people for himself. And so with the whole picture in mind. We move on to finding an application for this passage that we can take into the world this week. In the past several weeks, we've seen an emphasis on trusting in God's sovereignty and waiting on the Lord. And here in the story of Joseph, we can see how he's done that. We can see that this waiting on the Lord not only had benefits for Joseph, but has benefits for people all over the world. And as we see that process that has occurred in Joseph's life, I want to bring out our application that I, that I got this idea from reading uh, the expository commentary on Genesis by James Montgomery Boyce this week. I thought it was great, and so I wanted to share it with you. Where he went to the application in this passage is he went to the names of the sons of Joseph to show what has happened in the life of Joseph. So we see Manasseh, the first son, 
And that name means forgetting. And then Ephron's name means doubly blessed. And this calls us back to this idea of pressing on to what we have been called to. The Apostle Paul tells us to forget what is behind and press on towards the goal. Because we are in Christ, we can forget the pain of the past. You and I were in the pit of our sin and in our unbelief, but through Jesus we have the hope of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and he has done this all for us. And so even though at times we struggle with forward motion, we do not need to dwell on the past. We can press on. We can forget the past and move on. And that's what we see in the name of Ephraim. That name means doubly blessed. And in Jesus, you and I are doubly blessed. We have abundance beyond what is found in the sands on the seashore. We have unspeakable blessings in Christ. He has saved us And we have the sure and certain promise of eternal life because of what he has done to forgive our sins and to make us a people for his own possession. So may we apply this passage today and look at what Joseph has done. He has forgotten the past and he has pressed on to be doubly blessed. May we step into the world. May we forget what is behind. And may we relish in the truth that in Christ we are doubly blessed. And may this cause us to love and serve our neighbor in gratitude that God might receive all the glory just as he did in the life of Joseph. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page.